0: Lesson 22, guys, we're going to continue on. Let me just uh, remind you of a couple of things. Um, as we're Just to remind you from last week, we're looking at the final vision. It's a major vision, and again, it has to do with Israel, okay? Uh, which, let me just go ahead and say this to you right now. All prophecy in the Bible deals with either God, Jesus Christ, or Israel, period. Does everybody understand? Prophecy in the Bible does not deal with America, never has, okay? It's always written from the perspective of Israel, God's people, Jesus Christ, and of course, God. So I just want you to understand that. So just to remind you where we're at, who who can tell me who the king of the north is, remember? Who's that affiliated with? Syria, okay? Just so you know, Syria is the king of the north. King of the South, since I told you it's Syria, who's that? Egypt, okay? So this is with reference to what's going on here. This is the Greek period of history uh, before the Roman period. Remember, they divided into four. Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided into four parts. We've been focusing, prophecy has been focusing, uh, Daniel's prophecy has been focusing on the lower two parts of those kingdoms, which is the king of the North and the king of the South the Ptolemies, and the Seleucids, okay? So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through this again. I'm going to read to you the prophecy, tell you some points about what the prophecy said, and then I'm going to read to you what happened in history, okay, so we can see how it was fulfilled. At some point here, we're going to come up to a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And this is where it really gets muddled because what happens is we talk about Antiochus, but then also it kind of seems to be talking about somebody else in the future. And so most scholars, when they read this, will realize that there's, it's talking about the Antichrist. But some scholars who want to deny the supernatural will say, well, it's all about Antiochus Epiphanes, even though it doesn't accurately portray him. Now, what we've seen before that prophecy has a near and far fulfillment, okay, a near and far fulfillment. So let's look together uh, at verse 14. Now, in those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also, violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not withstand him, even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. But he who comes against him shall do according to his will, and no one shall stand against him. And he shall stand in the glorious Lamb with destruction in his power. And he shall also set his face to enter with strength of his whole kingdom and the upright ones with him. And thus shall he do. And And he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or be with him. All right, so let's take a look here. Here's what the main points of the passage are, and then let me tell you what's going on here. First of all, verse 14, Daniel is told in the vision, that Jews will join the struggle against the king of the South uh, for freedom. because the king of the South, the salute, the, the salute, I think it's the Ptolemy Empire, is the one who is in control of Palestine at this point. And so what will happen is some of the Jews will join the rebellion against, or they will join the battle against the king of the south for freedom. But here's the problem. They'll fail. They will fail. They're going to, the prophet just flat out says that some of them will join the struggle, but they're not going to endure. They're going to fall. All right? So they're going to fail. The king of the north will lay siege to a fortified city and take it. The king of the north is going to lay siege to a fortified city and take it. The king of the north will take control of Israel. So Syria, that's king of the north is where Syria is, Damascus, is going to take control of Israel. And then he will give his daughter in marriage to the king of the south Again, remember now. I told you. Oftentimes, they would do this to have a peace treaty. Is they would end up, you know, if, if two if if two kingdoms were feuding, what they would do to solidify a peace treaty is to give one guy one guy would give his daughter to the other to make sure that there would be peace. But here's the problem: the alliance will fail. They just can't get along. Even with even though they, you know he's given his given this guy his wife, it's not going to it's not going to work out. Okay, the alliance will fail. So, okay, here's what happened in in history. When he refers to your people, he's talking, who's Daniel talking, the angel's talking to Daniel about your people to Daniel. Who's your people to Daniel? Jews, okay. Many Jews, your people, also joined Antiochus III against Egypt. Perhaps the Jews hoped to gain independence from both Egypt and Syria by joining the conflict, but their hopes were not realized. Antiochus III then sought to consolidate control over Israel from which he had expelled the Egyptians. The fortified city seems to refer to Sidon, which is up uh, just to the north, somewhere in what's known as modern-day Lebanon today, uh, in which Antiochus captured in 2003 B.C. Antiochus III continued his occupation and by 199 B.C. had established himself in the beautiful land. What's the beautiful land, folks? Israel, okay? Antiochus III sought to bring peace between Egypt and Syria by giving his daughter to Mary, Ptolemy V of Egypt. But this attempt to bring a peaceful alliance between the two nations did not succeed. Okay? So let's look now at verse 18 through 19. We're going to see that the king of the north is going to try something different now. Look at verse 18 through 19. And after this, he turned his face to the coastlands and shall take many. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and and the reproach removed he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face towards the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Okay, so what's going on here? first thing that happens is the king of the north will seek to take Greece. Now, here's what's happening. We know from history that Antiochus III, he kind of was a guy who was a little bit of a dreamer and a guy who really wanted to to establish his legacy and to achieve something. What we know about Antiochus III is is that he wanted to, and this is why he's attacking the king of the south, he wanted to be the next Alexander to Gate. Great. He wanted to reunite the four kingdoms together. So he attempts by, first of all, defeating the king of the south. It doesn't work. So he turns his attention to the north. Okay? So if you have your maps, go back one lesson. Okay? I mean, if you have your your notes, go back one lesson. Remember, I showed you how the kingdoms were divided. Okay? You've got the southern and then one kingdom up. So basically, beyond that, he's trying to take Greece there. All right? So he's trying, Antiochus III attempts to take Greece. All right, here's what happens. He will be turned back by another ruler. So here's his dreams. He's wanting to be the next Alexander the Great again, reunite out the whole, whole empire, but it doesn't work out because another ruler is going to turn him back. And so what happens is is. Because he's defeated in battle, he heads back to his kingdom. Now, again, they don't hop on airplanes, they don't drive cars. You know what I'm saying? It takes a while to get back to where you're from, especially if you're a long way from home. So he will die a year after his return to his own kingdom. So here's what we know from history. Antiochus III turned his attention to Asia Minor in 197 B.C. And Greece... In 192 B.C. However, Antiochus III did not succeed because Rome, the emerging Roman Empire, turned him back. Okay? That's the other ruler. Rome here turned him back. So he returned to his own country in 188 B.C. And he died a year later. Okay? Now, let's go to verse 20. We're going to talk about another king of the north here. There shall arise in his place one who will impose taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. Ooh, It's interesting what's going on here. A king of the north, the guy who comes right after Antiochus III, probably his son, a king of the north will come to power and place heavy taxes on Israel. All right. He will be destroyed, but not by battle. He'll be destroyed, but not by battle. Okay, so here's what happened. Um, Antiochus III had a son whose name was Seleucus fourth. And after Antiochus III died, he became king. So he imposed heavy taxation because he had to pay for all these battles that his dad did. You know, you know what it's like. You just can't have an army without paying for an army, right? Everybody know that. We know that today. Okay. So, what happens was is, so he placed heavy taxation throughout the throughout that Saluted Empire, which of course included Israel. So he placed heavy taxation upon him. Now, here's what happened. Once the taxation was in place, it didn't last very long, simply because a few days later, Seleucus the was killed. By his own treasure he was poisoned he was poisoned by his own treasure Wow okay poisoned by the guy with the money bag isn't that interesting okay so now we're going to come to where we what we know as what we've seen before partially a far near and far fulfillment the little horn okay which is the contemptible king now again I want you to understand we're going to talk about an actual person. Whose name is Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes. Okay, Uh, we're going to talk about him, but there's also some aspects of this which are in the far fulfillment because at some point the prophecy switches to talk about a future ruler. Okay, so let's look. We're going to look at verses 21 through 35. And in his place shall arise a vile person. To whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood, they shall sweep away from before him, and they shall be swept away from before him, and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peacefully even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers, and he shall disperse among them the plunder, the spoils, and the riches. He shall devise his plans against strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. And he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. And his army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both these king's hearts shall be bent on evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but they shall not prosper and for the end will still be at the appointed time. While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time, he shall return and go to the south, go towards the south, but shall not be like the former or the latter. Ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved. And return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces shall be mustered by him. And they shall divide the sanctuary fortress. And they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong, and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join them by entry. And some of those who un- who have. Some of those of understanding shall fall, to refine them, to purify, to make them white until the time of the end, because it shall be for an appointed time. Wow. Okay, that's a lot to cover here, so let's kind of go through it. First of all, verse 21 to 22, we're going to see about how this king comes to the throne, his questionable ascension. So a vile king of the north shall take the throne by entry, okay? Does everybody understand what we mean by that? He somehow gets the throne, but it's not through normal ways. All right? It's kind of a sneaky way. He's doing it a sneaky way. The king removed the prince of the covenant or the high priest. The prince of the covenant here is the high priest. That's a reference to the the high priest. So this guy, when he comes to power, because he's the king over Israel, And and you have to understand, even when you realize, when you go into the New Testament, everybody understands that that is a significant figure in the life of the Jewish people. So it's oftentimes used for a political means. So he has the high priest removed. Okay? Now here's what happens. Antiochus IV is, is introduced as a contemptible person. He took to himself the name Epiphanes, which means the illustrious one. Okay? So when you hear the name Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, it's basically saying Antiochus the Fourth, the illustrious one. Guy's got an ego, right? Okay. Um, however, he was so untrustworthy a person. You ever had a politician like that you couldn't trust? Okay? He was so untrustworthy that he got the nickname Epiphanes, which means the madman. Okay, so he calls himself the illustrious one, but his people call him the madman. Okay? Now, he did not come to the throne through rightful succession. He seized it through intrigue. He was accepted as ruler because he was able to turn aside the evading army. Perhaps that's the Egyptians. So he was able to establish himself as king because he could turn aside this army that was coming, which was probably from the king of the south. All right? Now, he, was, he disposed the Jewish high priest who is called here the Prince of the Covenant. All right, so let's look at verse 23 and 24. He acquired great strength and power with the help of a few people. So here's a guy who makes himself, and the reason why he's able to establish himself in power is because he's got others around him who are going to reinforce his claim to the throne. So he will seek peace in his kingdom by dispersing the spoils of his victories to his followers. Isn't that a good way to do it? Do you know what I'm saying? If you, if you want to make sure that everybody's happy in your kingdom, how do you make them happy? Hey, yeah, you pay them off. Especially who are you going to pay off? The people who supported you. Okay? The pe- and that, if you look all over the world today, that's still a method. To make sure people stay in power, right? Okay? Make sure people stay in power. Now here's what happens in verse 25 to 27. Uh, This king will attack the king of the south and defeat him. So he's going to attack Egypt. And he's going to defeat him. We know that from history. He's going to attack the, the southern kingdom, the Ptolemies. And he's going to defeat them. The victor... We know this from history as well. The victor and the defeated will eat at the same table in friendship. Now, after the king of the, the king of the north wins, they have, the king of the north, of course, is an untrustworthy guy. He's a sly guy. He decides, he wants to make peace. You know what I'm saying? He just whooped you, okay? We're, we're going to make peace with you. So they, they did. They had a meal together, okay? They had a big banquet together where they sat down, and talk to each other as friends, but yet they hated each other's guts. Okay, you ever ever been in a meal like that where, where everybody is you can't stand each other, but you're so nice and sweetie pie to each other at the table? You know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here. Okay, isn't that amazing that Daniel, 200 years beforehand, would would be able to accurately tell us that they're going to sit down together? Okay, because what else happens? However, both kings will be deceptive with each other, so they're going to lie to each other. they am saying, "Oh, you yeah, have sure, you go right ahead." No, they're lying. They're lying to each other. Okay. Here's what happens then. On his way back from Egypt to go back to Damascus, you got to go through where? Okay, if I'm in Egypt. Okay, if you think about the Mediterranean, here's Egypt. Here's Damascus. If I've got to travel up around the Mediterranean to get to Damascus, what country do I have to go through? Israel. So here's what the king of the south does, okay? When returning home, he will do damage to the temple. He lets his troops pillage. Now, here's what you do. When you got big armies, it's pretty hard to pay them, right? Back in that day, part of the paying process is that when you conquered, you took what you wanted. So when you go through town, you just get what you want. If you're hungry, you just grab what you're going to eat. If you want, ah, that looks really nice. Nice suit, dude. I want it. Okay? It's called, um, yeah, it's called the spoils of war. How many of you know this from history? That during World War II, our troops, when they went through Europe, they could take whatever they wanted. Spoils, and they could mail them home. How many of you knew that? And they could basically—you could take, you just put it, put an address on it, and it would be shipped home. So guys would send home German rifles, German helmets, things like that, things that they would take in Germany. They, you know, from homes and stuff, they would just mail them home. They could do that. It was it was a law that allowed them to do that. What? That's normally what troops do. You know what I'm saying? That's normally what troops do. Now we have laws now because we're civilized in our warfare. Well, we don't allow that to happen, okay? We don't let that happen anymore. But back then, on his way through, he destroys, he, he hurts the temple, okay? Now then he's going to have another war against the south. The king of the north will attack the king of the south again. But here's the problem. This time he's not going to beat him. He will not have the same victory as he is hindered from, by ships from Cyprus. Okay, he's hindered by ships from Cyprus. Okay, so let me tell you what happened in history. Antiochus IV moved against Egypt, the south again. He moved into Egypt, but he was opposed by Romans who had come to Egypt in ships from the western coastlands. He was opposed by the Roman navy, which came from Cyprus. Okay, so let's go on. When Antiochus asked for time... Basically, the Romans took to Antiochus IV a letter forbidding him to engage in war in Egypt. Okay, so we're beginning to see the emergence of who now? Rome. So much that the Romans are saying to him, hey, we forbid you to do battle against... Wow. Okay? All right? So when Antiochus, he asked for time to consider... The emissary drew a circle around Antiochus IV and demanded that he give his answer before he stepped out of the circle. Wow. Oh, I've got to make a decision. Can you give me some time? Draw a circle around you? Well, the minute you've you got your time while you're standing in that circle, as soon as you step out of that circle, you've got to let me know your answer. Okay? Here's what happens. So Antiochus IV submitted to Rome's demands. If he resisted, he would declare, it would be basically a declaration of war on the Romans. He didn't want that. So this was a humiliating defeat for Antiochus IV. He will lose heart. But he had no alternative but to turn to his own land. So guess what he does? Okay? Now we get to verse 30 to 32, which is going to talk about the abomination of desolation. Okay? In his anger, the king will pour out his wrath on Israel, is what the text tells us. So he's pretty ticked off, and he's going to pour out his wrath on Israel. He favored rebellious Jews who had forsaken the Holy Covenant. There's a good lesson there. Does everybody realize that, you know, let's say there's an invading army that comes here. Not everybody's going to be united against the invading army. There's going to be people who are going to say, I think it'll be better with the new guys. And they'll be sympathetic and aid. That happens all the time. You know that. We call them what? Traitors. That's what's going on here. Okay? Let's go on. He attacked the temple and stopped the daily sacrifices. He placed the abomination of desolation there. Now, here's what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He was so appalled at the monotheism, because he's Greek. He's so appalled at the monotheism of the Jews and their sacrifices to one God only. What he did was is that he placed a statue of Zeus, Zeus in the temple. So that's the head of the pantheon of the Greek gods and on the holy altar where the sacrifices were be made were made he had a pig sacrificed that's pretty if you're jewish that's pretty bad right because the only thing sacrificed there are lambs or or bulls so he has an unclean animal sacrificed so that basically ceases because now the temple becomes what unclean all right So that's the abomination of desolation that he placed there. Jews who forsook the covenant will give into the king's flattery. We're going to see that as well. And, however, there will be a group of Jews who will stand strong and do great things. We know those as the Maccabeans. Okay? So here's what we're going to see. For a second time, Antiochus IV took out his frustration on the Jews the city of Jerusalem, and their temple. He vented his fury against the Holy Covenant, the entire Mosaic system, favoring any renegade Jews who returned to help him. He desecrated the temple and abolished the daily sacrifice. Antiochus IV sent his general, Apollonus, with 22,000 soldiers into Jerusalem on what was purported to be a peace mission. But they attacked Jerusalem on the Sabbath, killed many people, took many women and children as slaves, and plundered and burned the city. In seeking to exterminate Judaism and make the Jews become Greek, he forbade Jews to follow the religious practices, including their festivals and circumcision. So here's what's going on. He was so appalled by the Jewish system, he wanted to eradicate it. So he, for, he, he basically forbade them from following Judaism. So they were outlawed from being circumcised, and they were outlawed from following their Jewish calendar. Okay? So, and commanded that the copies of the law be burned. Then he set up the abomination that causes desolation. In the culminating act, he erected in December 16th, 167 B.C., an altar to Zeus on the altar of burnt offering outside the temple and had a pig offered on the altar. The Jews were compelled to offer a pig on the 25th of each month in celebration of Antiochus Epiphanes' birthday. Well, this guy celebrates his birthday every, every month. Isn't that wonderful? Wow! And you thought once a year was great. He's got to have it every month. But here's what he's doing. He makes them sacrifice a pig on that day, on the altar each month. Here's what else happened. Antiochus promised the apostate Jews great reward if they would set aside the God of Israel and worship Zeus the god the Greek god of Greece. Many in Israel were persuaded by his promises or flattery and worshiped the false god. However, a small remnant remained faithful to God, refusing to engage in these abominable practices. Now, here's what we know. In 163 B.C., uh, Antiochus Epiphanes died of insanity. He was was mad. He just died. He died insane. Okay? Now, here's what goes on, though. But here, verse 33 and 35 tell us that there's going to be a great persecution in Israel because of this guy. So he's going to to talk about this persecution. Those who stand strong will endure great persecution and many will be lost. He also, the, the prophecy tells us that those who stand against the king will be joined by others with various motives. So there's going to be a rebellion by some, by some faithful Jews. Uh, and Maccabee is the one who leads the rebellion. But some others will join the rebellion, but their reasons for joining the rebellion are not for spiritual reasons. They're joining the rebellion for their own reasons, which might mean, hey, they win, we're doing okay. And some will suffer and die, but the struggle will only be for an appointed time. So here's what we know. Jews who refused to submit to Antiochus IV's false religious system were persecuted and martyred for their faith. The word fall refers to severe suffering on the part of many and death on others. This has in view the rise of the Maccabean revolt. Matthias, a priest, was the father of five sons. One of them, Judas, became well known for refurbishing and restoring the temple in the late 164 B.C. He was called Judas Maccabeus, the hammer. In 166, Matthias refused to submit to the false religious system. He and his sons fled from Jerusalem to the mountains and began the Maccabean Revolt. At first, only a few Jews joined them. But as their movement became popular, many joined, some out of sincere motives and some from false motives. The suffering that the faithful endured served to refine and purify them. This time of persecution was of a short duration. Here, Daniel was assured that this persecution would run its course and then be lifted, for the end will still come at an appointed time. And it's true. They only, it, they actually were able to gain their independence from the king of the north. Okay? So, what they do, how many remember around Christmas time, the Jews celebrate what? Hanukkah. Hanukkah commemorates This period, okay? Hanukkah commemorates this period of time during the Maccabean Revolt, okay? So just want you to be aware of that. So it ends right there. So obviously we see that Antiochus IV, the text tells us he dies. Well, next week when we get into uh, actually, look. Turn over one page in your notes. You're going to see I have the kings of the north and the kings of the south listed there. Their reference to this text, you'll see what verse they're mentioned in, and you'll see uh, what years they were ruling. Okay, so it starts with Ptolemy in 323, and it goes all the way to Ptolemy the the sixth in 145 BC, and it, it starts with Seleucus the first in 312. Goes all the way to Antiochus the in 163. So it just kind of gives you a list there, and it shows you in the prophecy where they're mentioned. Everybody see that? Okay, that's a good reference for you. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to move into the final part of the prophecy, and it's going to talk about the Antichrist. But we and but here's the problem: most some some liberal scholars will say it's still talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, the problem is that the text already told us he dies, he disappears, he's gone. What we're going to see in two weeks is that the text is going to talk about a future king who does similar things to Antiochus, but he's the future ruler, okay, the future ruler, and we're going to see that uh, the next time we come, all right?